I do want to start with some bad news. What I want to say is I cannot talk about a new VMware service that's part of VMware Cloud and AWS. But with that said, the good news is, you ready? My friend and partner in crime from VMware can talk about it. And his name is Ben Meadowcroft. Let me show you that. He is a product line manager from VMware's storage and availability business unit. And he's here to do a show and tell of that service that I cannot talk about because it's not officially launched yet. But before we get Ben up here, let's quickly dive into the topic that's listed here. With that, I'd like to welcome you to Global Partner Summit. In particular, this particular session, 300-level technical session focused on VMware Cloud and AWS solution. My name is Wen Yu. I'm a partner solutions architect with AWS. Let's get started. So this is a foundational architectural overview of the solution, what the service entails, so all of us could collectively learn about the service so we could help our customers architect solutions to embark them into a hybrid cloud journey. Just so I can, just out of curiosity, how many of you in the audience is Amazon Partner Network partner? Okay, about half of you. Customers? And the rest? Okay, so with that said, let's get into it. So what you see here is a high-level solutions architecture representing the solution. What you see on the left side there is the on-premises customer data center. That's where the servers are running, network switches, routers, firewall appliances, as well as storage arrays and whatnot. Okay, and in the middle section there is the VMware Cloud on AWS solution, where vCenter server endpoint that is connected to the on-premises vCenter server through a new feature called hybrid link mode. What that allows customers to do is the ability to extend their vCenter server into the endpoint that's running on top of AWS, giving them this single pane of glass management of the on-premises infrastructure running vSphere, as well as the VMware Cloud and AWS SDDC software-defined data center running on top of AWS infrastructure. One thing I want to highlight in the middle section there is this is not a nested virtualization solution. What that means is this is not ESX hypervisor running on top of Zen hypervisor. This is ESX as the only hypervisor running on native EC2 instances. So that translates to e equivalent of the i316XL instance without the Zen hypervisor. So ESXi has full control of the hardware as well as the instance store devices to use for creation of the vSAN data store serving as off-last primary storage for virtual machines. The network virtualization overlay is done through VMware's NSX product, giving customers the ability to create logical networks for their virtual machines. So what this translates to customers in terms of workload migration is a seamless migration from a premises infrastructure running vSphere to public cloud, VMware Cloud and AWS solution running on top of AWS infrastructure. Now, I want to draw your attention to the elastic network interface that connects the VMware Cloud SDDC cluster and the native AWS services. So that is the private, dedicated, high-throughput, low-latency endpoint that allows the virtual machines running on ESXi server 
to connect into native AWS services, let it be native EC2 instances, Amazon S3 bucket, relational database as a service, RDS, or data warehousing solutions such as Redshift. So all of which can be done seamlessly from customers' virtual machine running on ESXi cluster to the various services listed here. So when we present this solution to customers, we often get the question of, okay, how does the magic work? Can you tell us a little bit more on what's involved in terms of service onboarding, sign up, what's needed to get onboarded with the service, as well as ongoing operational management. With that, let's get into the behind the magic, behind the scene magic. Starting with account structure, tying to this service, there are two accounts that are needed. One of which is the VMware SDDC account. So this is an account that end customers will not have visibility into. This is an account that's created on behalf of each and every customer to consume the EC2 instances to run ESXi server. What that means for customers is the entire SDDC stack will be instantiated for them. So they do not have to worry about the lifecycle management of ESX server installation, vSAN configuration, NSX controllers, NSX manager configuration, none of that stuff. As well as the security patching of the service, that's all done and operated by VMware as a service. So during service onboarding, customers will be prompted to enter in their AWS account, and that's where the second account comes in. So this is an account that belongs to the customer, owned by the customer, and specified by the customer during service onboarding. So what that means is customers will get a button where they could click, which is a CloudFormation template that will create a custom role in their AWS account, tie into an AWS managed policy with minimal set of permission needed to instantiate the elastic network interface that I mentioned. Creation of the ENI, attachment of the ENI to the ESXi host, as well as propagation of the route table that's needed so when new logical networks get created by the customer for their virtual machines running on ESX, then that route can be propagated to the customer's account VPC. So that's behind the scene magic that customers would not have to worry about. It's all instantiated and orchestrated with deep integrations that we work closely with VMware on. And what customers get access to is a vCenter server endpoint that they can connect into. So let's dive a little bit into what the architectural component looks like in the middle section in the high-level architecture slide. So in here at the bottom, you see four boxes there. Those represent EC2 i3 P16XL instances that will run the ESXi hypervisor. And on top of that, we have vSAN, virtual SAN, which is VMware's software-defined storage solution that would take all of the instant storage devices, which are NVMe backflash devices, that will get all consumed by vSAN for creation of the vSAN data store. That's a single namespace data store for all virtual machines to access. So customers simply would just deploy virtual machines and tie in with storage policy-based management based on their application needs. And network virtualization I mentioned is done through NSX. So customers will simply create logical networks, enable DHCP or set static IPs, and have the ability to configure routes into native AWS VPC that's connected with the service. And also the orange boxes that are highlighted are all the infrastructure components that are offloaded as heavy lifting from the customer. So the customers don't have to worry about 
I mentioned earlier, the installation of ESXi, creation of vCenter server appliance, platform service controllers, as well as the security patching that's done on a, done on a monthly basis, minor version upgrades, major version upgrades, none of those are responsibilities of the customers anymore. So VMware will offer that as a service so customers could focus on what's most important to them, which are the virtual machines hosting their mission-critical applications. And with this service, customers always get the latest and greatest software stack. The SDDC stack is always on maintenance scheduled with permission from the customer. And the feature sets that customers have learned to love over the years, vSphere HA for monitoring a virtual machine heartbeat over the network, restart the virtual machines in case any host failed, that's all built in. Distributed resource scheduler, DRS, for load balancing the load across the ESX cluster, that's all supported, as well as the vMotion migration of virtual machines between ESX servers, all fully supported, very much like how on-premises SDDC environment works. Last but not least, so this architecture is very flexible in the sense that it allows customers to deploy a standalone cluster. If customers were to eliminate data centers on-premises altogether, then they could seamlessly migrate the workload from on-premises into this solution and get rid of their data centers. Or we allow customers to have a hybrid environment where they could have network connection established into the VMware Cloud and AWS solution. Now, in terms of network connectivity, it's highly flexible with customer choices, like everything else we do. Let's get into that. So in terms of network connectivity, what you see at the bottom is the customer data center. And before the instantiation of the VMware Cloud and AWS service, customers are already doing this where they have an AWS account that they log into, provision resources, and establish layer three VPN connection into the VGW, virtual private gateway, or a BGB connection into uh, AWS using Direct Connect. So these are all fully supported options available today. Now, once they get onboarded with VMware Cloud and AWS service, then there will be the ability for customers to do layer two VPN through NSX bespoke edge service gateway on-premises, or if they don't have NSX on-premises, that's not a problem. They could have their edge router or firewall appliances establishing layer three VPN connection into the management gateway or the compute gateway running in VMware Cloud. And lastly, Direct Connect is also supported as an option. Now, I mentioned earlier, the elastic network interface that allows virtual machines running on SDDC cluster to connect into native AWS services that is fully supported and fully operational. The customers do not need to provision these ENIs in their VPC, in their AWS account. It's all provisioned and managed for them. So that way, customers have flexibility to migrate workload over dedicated private circuits if they want to, or have management connectivity into vCenter server through hybrid link mode over with layer three VPN over internet. So options are there for the customers. So with this introduction of the various compute network and storage stack in SDDC offered by customers, as well as network connectivity choices, in our customer conversations, uh, various use cases come up. So that's where we will spend majority of the remainder of the session to talk about these use cases presented to us from our customers alongside their requirements plus our recommendations. 
With that, I'd like to bring my friend Ben up on stage to talk about something that I cannot talk about yet. So with that, over to you, Ben. All right, thanks a lot, Gwen. I guess uh, you know, I'll have the opportunity to talk to you a little bit about uh, the disaster recovery and what we're doing from a disaster recovery perspective. And so this is really, I'll, I'll be touching a little bit about a, a solution that's not quite released yet, giving you a little bit of a preview on that, but just give you a, a hint of uh, what, what you should be hearing about very, very soon. And the, the use case is really going to be about disaster recovery. And, you know, as Wen was mentioning, this is one of the use cases that we hear a lot from our joint customers. You know, customers who are looking to be able to leverage the, uh, the elasticity of the cloud, uh, you know, some of the cloud capabilities to really get away from having to, to manage their own dedicated DR data centers. And really, uh, the, the offering of VMware Cloud and AWS as a DR target is particularly interesting for that use case. You know, as Wen was mentioning, you know, what VMware are offering is something that's completely managed on behalf of the customer. So they don't have to worry about all that cruft of patching, upgrading, maintaining uh, a data center that's really not running you know, production workloads. It's just there for DR. We're really taking that uh, pain away from them with this offering. So let me talk a little bit more about what we're, we're actually uh, doing here. So the first one, uh, what we hear from customers is they want the ability to replicate their workloads, their virtual machines. You know, virtualization in the on-premises data center is basically the default for, for most workloads now. You know, all the way from business critical applications right the way through. So they're looking to take those applications and they're looking to be able to replicate them seamlessly into VMware Cloud and AWS. The second thing, they want something that's going to be very simple and straightforward. You know, one of the huge pain points with DR is when it's complicated. You know, disaster recovery is something that you really put into play at one of the most stressful periods of time when you're dealing with the disaster. And having a solution that's going to be complex, operationally difficult, is just not what you want. You want something that's going to be very straightforward, very seamless, very fluid for your operators to be able to execute. And then also be able to, to come back as well. So be able to fail over and then be able to also move those workloads back as needed. And then also, uh, you know, one of the big drivers here is something that's going to be cost efficient. You know, it, there's no point really moving away from uh, moving to a solution if you're not going to get some benefits from it from a cost effective perspective. So from a VM uh, level replication, I'll touch on a couple of things. The first thing, we're leveraging vSphere replication. This is a native hypervisor-based replication uh, that we've been shipping with vSphere for, for several releases now. This is something that enables customers to select the individual workloads, the individual VMs, and be able to replicate them. And they're able to you know, choose flexibly you know, what RPO they wish to desire. So all the way from five minutes up to 24 hours from a recovery point objective selection. And then being able to leverage those connectivity options that Wen talked about. You know, being able to leverage IPsec, VPN. Uh, you know, one of the things we're working on, L2 VPN as well. Uh, as well as being able to leverage technologies like Direct Connect as well. is also something that we're working on uh, for this solution. In terms of the simple recovery and failback, uh, what we're doing here, we're leveraging the capabilities of a product that we've had in the VMware portfolio for a while. And that we've, we've been updating for this, uh, this release. A technology called Site Recovery Manager customers to really focus on the recovery plans, what they want to execute when disaster strikes. And this recovery plan is something that's very straightforward and simple for them to create. And basically, when disaster strikes, it's literally clicking a couple of buttons, and that 
triggers a failover for the customer and enables them to bring the workload up in a functioning state at the recovery location. And then also some integrations that we're looking at with NSX technologies as well uh, to enable the, the stretching of layer two networking to avoid things like VIPing and IP customization as part of the failover process. You know, helping to, to simplify the, the recovery and failback operations there. And then cost efficiency as well. Uh, you know, really being able to take that cluster uh, that, that Ven, Wen was talking about, you know, that VMC, SDDC, and then being able to build on top of that and expand on top of that. So we, we enable things like uh, you know, customers being able to uh, run, for example, test dev workloads in the cloud, and then when they want to fail over, they're able to suspend those, spin those down as necessary to uh, enable them to power up VMs. Or you know, the, very simply, they can expand the clusters and uh, you know, spin up additional compute in, in response to the increased demand for, for DR. So let me uh, give a quick high-level overview of what this is really offering. So the, the first thing is this is something that we deliver as a service. So just as we're taking VMware Cloud and AWS and we're enabling customers to spin up a vSphere infrastructure, you know, a full SDDC with vSphere, vSAN, NSX, and taking away the pain of managing it, not having to upgrade, patch, all, all those things are taken away in this environment. In the same way, we're delivering the DR solutions as a service as well so that those components we take care of managing, deploying, upgrading, and patching them on behalf of the customer. So something that's really delivered as a service. It's also built on established VMware uh, DR solutions. So this is a, you know, we have technologies that we've been very successfully uh, working with customers on for several years now in the DR space with vSphere replication and Site Recovery Manager. They're technologies that are tried, proven, work really well, give you that full end-to-end -end automation of your DR solution. And what we've done, we've adapted them to bring them into this solution. And I'll talk a little bit more about some of the enhancements we've made as well shortly. Uh, this is also something that is really providing an application-centric approach. Because we're getting down to the very granular per VM level, and even you know, being able to enable or disable individual disks for replication potentially, uh, you're able to just protect the workloads, the applications that you really want to protect. And you're able to you know, identify those applications using things like uh, vRealize Network Insight, for example, to identify application dependencies and then be able to protect those specific workloads. This is in contrast to some of the traditional uh, solutions where you know, customers were relying on like replicated storage solutions and things like that. Instead, we're getting right down to the individual application, individual VM level. And as I mentioned earlier, we're removing the need for that dedicated DR data center. A lot of the customers that I speak to, you know, that DR data center is just something that they really don't want to continue investing in. It's where they, you know, maybe they uh, take their old technologies and kind of put it out to pasture for DR. But they recognize that that's not the ideal solution for DR. They're actually looking for something a lot better, but they don't want to take on that operational burden of managing a dedicated DR data center, of managing colo space, or you know, building out new data centers and so on just for, for DR purposes. So this is a, a solution that really enables them to uh, you know, remove that need entirely as they move to uh, enable DR to the cloud. And then this is something that's also very integrated with the VMware Cloud and AWS service. So it's something that's natively integrated as you deploy VMware Cloud and AWS. I'll show you a brief demo shortly that will see just how quick and easy it is to, to enable this capability. 
The last thing I'll tell you before we, we go to the demo is just touch on a, a couple of things in the solution that are a little bit different from, from on-premises. So as Wen was going through the, the architecture earlier, you'd have seen the hybridity between the on-prem side and the cloud side. So what we have here on the left is the on-premises data center. This is where customers are running vCenter, they're running vSphere, uh, you know, having those production applications running there, uh, business critical applications and so on. On the cloud side, this is where we take care of things on behalf of the customer. We deploy the vCenter, the vSphere, vSAN. We keep that up and running, healthy and managed on behalf of the customer. And then when the customer wants to use that uh, VMware Cloud and AWS location as a DR target, uh, they're able to quickly deploy vSphere replication and site recovery manager. And uh, we take care of deployment of that. They're able to deploy that on premises and then they'll link the two together. So we've made a lot of changes on those solutions to, to make this more flexible for this kind of deployment. You know, the, the version flexibility that we've introduced enables customers to deploy, you know, back all the way back to vSphere 6.0 update 3 on-premises. So we'll support 6.0 all the way up to the current 6.5 releases. Um, and then also uh, we've developed an entirely new user interface that's aligned with the new HTML5 based UI that customers are uh, becoming familiar with, with, with vSphere and vCenter. So something that's very uh, integrated into that. So I'm sure you guys have had enough of slides right now. Let me give you a quick demo. So what you're gonna see here is a VMware Cloud on AWS console. So the customer's gone into their software-defined data center and now they're gonna activate this add-on. So site recovery is our first planned add-on. They're just gonna go through here and click activate. We'll give them a few details on you know, next steps, what they need to do on premises and so on. But in, in terms of what they need to do on the cloud, they'll just click activate. And then this takes around about under 10 minutes or so. And what we're doing at this point, we're actually deploying the SRM, SRM and VR components. We're registering them into vCenter. We're, we're setting everything up so that it's going to be really ready for them to, to get up and running. So with the magic of video editing a couple of minutes later, uh, you know, we have the site recovery uh, solution that's now active. So the customer's going to be able to go in, and you see here that the SRM and VR components have been deployed on their behalf. That's something that we take care of, and we take care of ensuring the health and reliability and resiliency of those components. So when the customer wants to use it, they go into the, the vCenter user interface. So this is the, the H5 UI. And then we have a new plugin uh, for site recovery. So this is going to be the new service that we'll be offering. And they're currently accessing the vCenter in VMware Cloud and AWS right now. So what they're gonna do, they're gonna establish a new pairing. So this is where they take their SDDC in VMware Cloud and AWS, and we're gonna ask them to provide the details for their on-premises infrastructure. So here the customer's gonna identify what's called a platform services controller. Uh, this is a, a component that customers deploy on-premises, and they'll provide in uh, some credentials to be able to connect into that. So at this point, obviously, uh, you know, we have a VPN connectivity established. This is where that communication is going over. And they're going to establish that pairing. So we'll communicate to that platform service controller and we'll identify all the vCenter servers that are registered. We just have one. And we're going to activate the SRM and vSphere replication components and pair them together. So this is a piece now where we're establishing a bi-directional trust between the on-premises environment and VMware Cloud on AWS. So that just takes a few moments for it to, to register. And when it's done, we'll, we'll see it pop up as a, a new site pairing here. And in the future, you know, the customer will come in and configure potentially additional site pairings. It's something that we're working on. 
So now they're accessing the user interface, they're gonna log in, and this is gonna give them a single pane of glass across their DR uh, environment. So this solution is fully bi-directional. So they can take on-premises workloads, protect to the cloud, and go back from VMware Cloud and AWS back to on-premises. We also fully support going from multiple VMware Cloud and AWS deployments as well. So if you deploy uh, across a couple of availability zones or potentially across a couple of regions, you could set up DR between those two regions as well. So here we'll, uh, we'll go through. We can see that the, the two sites are connected. We're gonna configure a few replications here. So I'm gonna uh, find all my CRM uh, virtual machines. So this is gonna be my CRM application. And as every application has, is always well-named, so it was very easy to find all 20 VMs that made up the application in this case. But I've taken my 20 VMs, I'm just saying where I'm gonna replicate them to, which uh, target storage I'm gonna replicate them to. And then it's gonna allow me to select the, my recovery point objective, whether I wanna compress or not. Now I'm also gonna create the recovery plan and protection group. This allows me to take those 20 VMs and group them together and say this is a, uh, a unit that I wanna fail over together. And I'll create a protection group, which is a group of those VMs, and a corresponding recovery plan. And once I've done that, my VMs are now protected. They're being replicated up to VMware Cloud and AWS, and I've got a recovery plan that's been created for them. So I'm gonna be able to go in and be able to execute that recovery plan and actually fail over the, those VMs from my on-premises location into VMware Cloud and AWS. What I'll show you here is another key capability of the solution though, is non-disruptive DR testing. So this is actually a, a key benefit of the solution, is that customers are able to take an application, like here the CRM application, create a recovery plan for it, and do what we call a, a DR test. So this does not impact their production applications in any way. We're taking these workloads, they're already part of this recovery plan, and we're gonna create a test environment for them. So when I, I click test here, uh, I'm gonna, uh, I don't wanna do a final replication, I'm just gonna take whatever copy of data I have, and I'm gonna kick off a test. So what this is gonna do is gonna create a bubble environment for me, so while this is happening, SRM is taking care of creating an entirely new set of networks that these VMs are gonna be attached to for recovery purposes, or for test purposes so that I can go through and these VMs will be powered on, attached to the network. It won't be uh, reachable to the, my production networks. And now I'll just wait for those VMs to be powered on. Uh, you know, it'll take a, a few minutes. This really depends on the, the size of the VMs, how long it actually takes to power them on. At this point, actually most of the v, these VMs, when they're over 50% of the way through, we're actually just waiting for the VMware tools agent within the VM to basically say, hey, I'm alive and up and running. So that's what we're kind of waiting for at this point. So here I've taken my 20 VMs, and this is gonna take me uh, about a minute and a half to actually perform the failover for these 20 VMs. So we'll just give this a, a few more seconds to complete. There we go, perfect. So whenever I do a test as well, what I also have, you see here I have when I, each step started and ended, I can also see a full history of any operation I've done, whether it's a testing, failover, fail back, et cetera, reprotect. So here I'm gonna just take my most recent test and I can export that in a variety of formats. Here I'll just see a quick HTML view of it. And you see here, you know, I was successfully recovered my 20 VMs. It took about one minute, 40 seconds. And for each operation that's executed by the recovery plan, we have corresponding entry in the report. And this in this case is HTML. We can export in XML format and so on. So this is what uh, a lot of our customers use to actually be able to prove 
you know, for audit purposes, that they were actually able to perform tasks, that the workloads were able to be up and uh, recovered correctly. And then after I've done my test, I, I can go in and access the VMs if I want to. But here I'm just going to clean up the test. So this is going to gracefully uh, you know, take down all those test VMs that I've created. And it's going to clean up all the, the networking pieces that I've done. And now I'm in a, a state where I'm able to uh, be ready to, to fail over or do another test of my workloads. But key things to, to bear in mind here, that from what, what I have done, once I've connected my sites together, and done that initial configuration. The time to go from you know, setting a VM all the way through to protecting it and it being ready to fail over, to test, to recover, is just a few minutes. Uh, you know, depending on how much data you have to replicate and the size of your, your pipe, you know, obviously it can take a while for us to send all the data across, but the configuration steps are very, very quick in this example here. And this is something that, you know, for customers who have applications running on top of vSphere in their on-premises environments today, who are looking to VMware Cloud on AWS as a DR solution, this is going to be an offering that will ma marry very well with that desire, give them that capability to very quickly protect the workloads and get them failed over into the cloud in a, in a very cost-effective and expedient manner. So I'll hand back over to Wen now to take you through some more use cases. Thanks, Wen. Thank you, Ben. Okay, now let's move on to, after Ben has mentioned the new service, let's talk about a database workload that comes up very often in our customer conversations, and in particular, Oracle Rack, as an example. So customers are often deploying Oracle Rack virtualized on-premises, running on vSphere, and we often get questions on, oh, can you please give us a solution that doesn't require me to configure a GRE tunnel on top of VPC? to have overlay network just to support multicast and have to worry about shared storage for my Oracle Rack environment. So what Ben had mentioned, that service that's soon to be announced, if we apply it to this use case here, we could actually, if you think about it, we could do that, right? The Oracle Rack database backend will be fronted by application servers and potentially web servers in a multi-tier environment running on vSphere. If you have site recovery service established, you could easily create resource group of those virtual machines, enable vSphere replication from the premises to VMware Cloud and AWS, do a test recovery like you saw earlier, as well as the ability to do what we call a planned migration. Instead of doing a DR failover, you could do a planned migration to gracefully shut down the virtual machines on premises, do the last round of change block replication to VMware Cloud and AWS target, and then, there you go, the virtual machines get power on. And if you have a stretch L2, you don't even have to reconfigure the IP address. So that's one way to go about attacking that particular customer requirement. And when we talk to customers, the requirements can be summarized into seamless migration. We have a lot of customers that are running Oracle databases. For example, they're already backing up to Amazon S3. As some of you might know, Amazon S3 is integrated with RMAN backup for Oracle. So a lot of customers are already putting out their database backups on a daily, if not weekly basis, into Amazon S3. So in that sense, customers are asking if they could have the ability to rehydrate the virtual machines unmodified once they deploy this service. Okay? And the second requirement there is the ability to support database clustering, Oracle Rack as an example, natively. And last but not least, once the data is migrated into the cloud, 
then there's a lot the customers can do with it. So we often get the questions of, okay, now what? My application is running in the cloud. Can you show me how I can take advantage of native services when on AWS with my data now that they're in there? So in response to that requirement, the database backup into Amazon S3, rehydration into virtual machines running on ESXi, we can talk about that in response to that requirement. Secondly, in terms of database clustering support, I mentioned natively, vSAN supports Oracle Rack with a simple flag that can be enabled for the virtual machine disk file VMDKs that are used for Oracle Rack clustering. And that is what we will show you in the UI, what needs to be done. And NSX multicast support is native to NSX. So with VMware Cloud and AWS solution, NSX is the network virtualization layer that supports that natively. So customers don't have to do the manual work of a GRE tunnel just to support that in native VPC as an example. And lastly, there is a whole set of native AWS services that the customers could leverage. As an example, they could use database migration service to ingest data from the source database running on ESXi hosts into Amazon Redshift for data warehousing, as well as the various native services for application development. For example, Elastic Beanstalk can be provisioned without the customers having to worry about native EC2, auto scaling group, Elastic load balancing, DNS updates, any of that is all lifted off the customer's shoulder. So the application developers could simply enter in their pointer to the code that they want to upload and run in the cloud, talking against a database that's been migrated over from on-premises. With that, let's walk through the first use case of the first requirement of satisfying the rehydration of Amazon S3 backed up databases. Okay, so in here on your left side, you see on-premises Oracle Rack deployment, Oracle Rack cluster, with RMAN or their favorite backup tools writing into Amazon S3. And if the customer happens to have direct connect, then they could use a public virtual interface to access Amazon S3. Okay, so the backups are being sent to Amazon S3 on a regular basis. Now, when it comes to rehydration, I mentioned, customers could simply deploy Oracle, vanilla Oracle virtual machine cluster, okay, from their templates that was used on premises, for example, or a backup that's invoked from on premises into Amazon S3. So once you have the Oracle Rack Mandela cluster set up in the cloud, then you can just do a database restore. So what that looks like in terms of the ability for multiple virtual machines to access the same underlying VMDK for database is through the sharing of multi-writer. So what that allows is several virtual machines, however big your Oracle Rack cluster is, having simultaneous read-write access to the VMDK. Okay, with that, you could simply do a DB restore. So we get a lot of customers asking, how does the virtual machine access Amazon S3 once the service is instantiated? Here's the answer. The access path goes from the virtual machine, let's say RMAN restoring a backup from the S3 bucket. They go through the compute gateway, which will route the traffic over the elastic network interface that's attached to the ESXi host. And then from that point on, our best practice recommendation is for customers to use uh, S3 VPC endpoint. So what that means, customers could provision a prefix in their customer account for AWS to access S3 over a private backbone network without going over public IP space. So once the S3 VPC endpoint is provisioned, then we have deep integration with VMware 
because as you know, the source IP address that's accessing the Amazon S3 file or object is from a logical network that's outside of the cyber block range for the customer's VPC. When we drop the packet, well, if we do nothing, then yes, we could drop the packet because it's coming from a source that's unknown. But we have integration with VMware where the compute gateway actually has detection of whether a S3 VPC endpoint is configured for the customer's VPC that's connected to this service. If the prefix to access S3 is detected, then the compute gateway, NSX, will do nadding of the source IP into the secondary IP of the ENI. So that way, the access will look like it's coming from the VPC side of block address. Then you get access to Amazon S3 over high throughput, low latency, dedicated private link. And that's how you could rehydrate into this environment from your database backups. So once you do the initial seeding, then it's the customer's choice to configure data guard as an example to keep the database up to date. Or they could do a log shipping as an example and repay the logs up to a point where they feel comfortable with enough testing that this is running great in their environment so they can cut over seamlessly. The supporting application servers, VM, as well as the web servers could be easily migrated over L2 VPN connection with vMotion or a cold migration or a rehydration from backup, for that matter. Okay, so that's the rehydration part where customers have backups already in place in Amazon S3. Now, let's take a look at the native service integration. Now that Oracle Rack is running great with multi-writer flag that's enabled, with multi-cast support with NSX, performance is great with off-flash vSAN, then what? Can customers take advantage of Amazon Redshift for data warehousing? Absolutely. The way, the way to do that, the simple way to do that is through the data, database migration service. So what that does for the customer is they wouldn't have to write custom scripts to export their data into the Amazon S3 bucket, followed by uh, data ingest using the copy command into the Redshift cluster. So with database migration service, you would deploy a replication instance to the customer account VPC and make sure that replication instance is deployed to a subnet group that's associated with a route table that has a route into the SDDC VM logical network. And the destination, of course, is Amazon Redshift. And I mentioned the S3 integration, allowing virtual machines to access Amazon S3 over S3 VPC endpoint. Then that coming into play as well, as you might know, the data ingestion into Redshift is temporary stage in Amazon S3 bucket. So you really want to recommend for customers to configure S3 VPC endpoint so they get the best performance possible without having to worry about public IP space configuration just to access S3. Okay, so with that, with data ingested into Redshift cluster, then customers could simply tell their BI team to say, okay, here's the endpoint that you could use for data analytics with data warehousing. And they could use their favorite tool of choice for BI analytics against large set of data. QuickSight is one example where customers could use for this purpose. And we're not just doing the initial seeding of the data from your source database running on VMware ESXi host. We are also doing continuous data capture, which is another task that you could easily instantiate in AWS database migration service. So that will keep the data up to date from production on a regular basis. So customers are always doing BI against later set of production data. 
without having to worry about data ingestion altogether. Okay, one thing I do want to call out is, I mentioned route propagation is done automatically by VMware as part of the service, and that's only to the default route table. So if you have customers that are not using the default route table, you want to make sure they have something similar to this. The destination of the logical network, let's say 192.168.1.0/24, has a target of the Elastic Network Interface that's provisioned in their AWS account. As simple as that. And DMS has a nice user interface for you to test the source endpoint, target endpoint, along with the replication instance to make sure they can all communicate with each other before you do any task to ingest data or keep the data continuously replicated. As simple as that, customers could take full advantage of Redshift without having to worry about procurement of hardware, deployment of hardware, rack and stack, you name it, in their private data center. Now another thing that customers could take advantage of is Elastic Beanstalk. With your Oracle databases provision, you have the ability to simply make an API call to vCenter server to clone your production database running Oracle into another database that you could use fresh with your development team. And you could use Elastic Beanstalk, so the heavy lifting of having to create auto-scaling group with EC2 instances, deploy from Army, Elastic Load Balancer, DNS Update, all of that stuff can be offloaded from your engineering team. So they just worry about uploading code to their brew or green environment, and you could seamlessly cut over from brew to green with the database backend that's running on ESXi server over the Elastic Network Interface. And if you have customers that are running re-realized automation, VRA, as an example, they could tie this entire workflow of Elastic Beanstalk as well as database cloning into a single blueprint. First task is you create a clone of the database to have an endpoint, and then you incorporate that endpoint into another task that will provision the Elastic Beanstalk environment. And you have more advanced customers that are you know, known to use auto-scaling group with comfort, and they could simply tie that into a, another task in the blueprint to have auto-scaling group talking to database backend that's migrated without any lifting or shifting from our premises. Just a few examples of cool things that customers could do once their data is in the cloud. So that's database migration use case. Now, let's jump into the last use case that we hear from customers. This is by no means the last one that we hear from conversations. This is the last one for the presentation is where customers have on-premises internet-facing web applications with multi-tier, a web front-end that's internet-facing, application back-end talking to a back-end database. We often get questions of, okay, how do I do the minimum amount of work without lifting and shifting to have consumption of VMware Cloud native service and use native AWS services to have end-to-end -end security protection and visibility on my application that's internet-facing. So let's go over that. In terms of requirements from customers, one is no modification of the applications themselves. They want to keep the same operating environment that they have on-premises once they are migrated to the cloud. Secondly, built-in distributed DDoS mitigation with this architecture. And lastly, end-to-end -end visibility of how their applications are being accessed. So in response to those requirements, we could take advantage of those services, such as application load balancer, which allows for target IP group, which is consisting of 
IPs that are not tied to native EC2 instances. They could be virtual machines running on ESXi hosts funded by the application load balancer. There's also the Elastic File System, Amazon EFS, that could be mounted by the virtual machines directly as a file service share without having to worry about deploying instances and export NFS. They could simply consume it as a service, just like they do with native EC2 instances. Now, with built-in DDoS protection, we have Route 53 working in conjunction with the integrated CloudFront for content distribution, Web Application Firewall, WAF, coupled with Shield to protect against common web exploits, such as SQL ejection, cross-site scripting, as well as uh, DDoS attacks. Those are all services that could scale horizontally to absorb attacks, and you get to work, your customers get to work with our 24 by 7 denial service response team to create rules as we see pattern changes for the application. And lastly, end-to-end visibility. We could use Amazon S3 bucket. Oops. We could use Amazon S3 bucket as the central point of data ingestion. The VPC flow logs, the access logs from the CloudFront, access log from ALB, access log from the web service running ESXi host can all be fed into Amazon S3 as a central repository for analytics of the application access. Couple that with Kinesis Firehose ingesting data into Amazon Elasticsearch as a service to build index. You could do query analysis through a web UI called Cabana, which I can show you in the demo. So that way customers have end-to-end -end visibility without modifying their applications whatsoever. So let's get into a workflow of what that looks like for customers. First step is application migration. So this is a simple representation of what customers have on premises with a web front end application back end talking to a database. Okay? So in terms of the virtual machines, we could leverage what Ben mentioned to seamlessly migrate those in a planned migration into VMware Cloud and AWS ESXi server. Or you could use your favorite backup vendors, backup and rehydrate into ESXi host, like another restore point in vCenter server. Now, with the web content that is internet-facing, customers could leverage Amazon Elastic File System, EFS. As some of you might know, you can mount Amazon EFS shares from the virtual machines over Direct Connect. And we recently announced the EFS File Sync, so customers have an optimized way to copy web contents into Amazon EFS on-premises. So once that's ready, then customers are ready to back up the virtual machines. So the virtual machines are migrated over. Of course, you want to make sure you have built-in data protection for your virtual machines, running backups as you would normally do in an on-premises environment. So a backup infrastructure would look something like this as an example, tying in our partner ecosystem integration with Veeam backup and replication server. So with Veeam, you could configure a Linux virtual machine running on top of ESXi host, mounting the Amazon EFS share in the customer's AWS account, and use that as the backup repository. As you might know, EFS is a regional service, highly available, very simple to configure, and has elastic scale. So you pay as you go in terms of the capacity. You don't have to worry about capacity at all with this architecture. So you simply mount the EFS share in your Linux virtual machine, and then tie it in Veeam backup and replication console as the backup repository. Veeam will then talk to vCenter server through the VADP, vSwift Data Protection API framework, to initiate the VMware snapshot, copy of the snapshot into the backup repository 
as one example of backing up your virtual machine and have the ability to restore from backups. Another way is if you have partner appliances solutions that have native S3 integration, you could do that as well by deploying something like NetApp AutoVault as a virtual machine that runs on top of ESXi host. You tie AutoVault into the Amazon S3 bucket that you configure in the customer's AWS account, in which case that could be configured as a backup repository for Veeam backup server, in which case Veeam will do the right thing to invoke the VMware snapshot through vCenter server API call and then copy the virtual machine backup into Amazon S3. Last but not least, we have solutions that have we have solutions that have native cloud connected into Amazon S3, such as Commvault. So in this case, you could deploy Commvault like you do on-premises. Commvault server tie in with a media agent that's tie in with Amazon S3 bucket as your backup destination. And that's all you have to worry about. Your backup will be sent to Amazon S3, highly durable, highly scalable service. Now, the last step is really tying in the native AWS services with this architecture, now that they're running great in the cloud. We have our applications migrated over, modified, tie in with Elastic File System service for both content migration as well as data backup, and Amazon S3 for backup storage. And in terms of web contents, you could have customers leverage CloudFront, our content distribution service to have global presence in our many publications that we have. In this case, your web contents could be served out to the customers and users closer in different geographic locations. So customers need not to deploy another ESX server in another region just to serve out the contents. Instead, they could use, use CloudFront and have global distribution. And this will be the first entry point to have security layer protection so you could guard against uh, malformed packets before they even enter into your application load balancer as the origin. Okay, so that's CloudFront that could be used. And Route 53, as you know, once you have the CloudFront distribution created, then you could simply add another alias record in your hosted zone corresponding to the record for your application. So it points to CloudFront as the DNS resolution. So all the web application traffic will get routed into CloudFront pop locations and edge locations. Okay, and application load balancer, I mentioned earlier, Application load balancer, our layer seven load balancer, as part of the ELB family, has native integration with vSphere virtual machines in the sense that you could create a target group consisting of IPs, not from native EC2 instances, but from virtual machines running on ESXi hosts. So traffic will be load balanced and distributed across the elastic network interface that's attached to ESXi hosts to the virtual machines running as the web servers, web servers. Okay? And AWS WAF as well as Shield are integrated with CloudFront, Route 53, and ALB to provide built-in common web exploit protection as well as DDoS mitigation and protection. So all those all can be folded into this architecture seamlessly. And lastly, if your customers have a lot of web contents that they manage, web servers, web assets, then SSL cert management could become a huge headache. So with Certificate Manager, you could use that as a service your customers will have the ability to use that and do SSL offloading to the application load balancer. Very simple to do. 
And last but not least, we mentioned end-to-end -end visibility, where you could ingest all of your VPC, VPC flow logs, your access logs from CloudFront, the ALB, as well as the web servers into Amazon S3 bucket, and then have that ingested into Elasticsearch cluster through Kinesis. So the indices can be built based on the logs that are coming in and have visualization of charts of how traffic is being accessed globally for your platform distribution, for your virtual machines, your security groups, you name it. Okay, and this all looks simple and all, but when you present to customers or when you architect this, you could look at this blueprint and say, okay, this is what it looks like. Remember when I first showed the high-level architecture? This is a more sophisticated version of the high-level architecture with the customer data center on the left and in the middle is where you have the SDDC stack running your multi-tier application. And to the right is native AWS services that customers could seamlessly integrate with their applications. I want to draw your attention to the right here with uh, Route 53. Remember we add the DNS alias record for your application. So that's the first entry point to your application is CloudFront where the web application firewall rules are honor in each and every pop location that's servicing the content, okay? And in there, you could have CloudFront restrict access to your application to have HTTPS traffic only, and then have HTTPS communication with your origin, which is the ELB, application load balancer, fronting your web servers. So in this case, the ALB would direct traffic over the Elastic Network interface into the group of web servers running in ESXi host, and that's how you get seamless integration with layers of security protection. And the virtual machines I mentioned could mount Amazon EFS as the web content store. It's a service that's regional, so customers need not to worry about AZ-level failures and lose their contents, okay? And lastly, we use Amazon S3 as the ingestion central point for all the access logs, VPC flow logs, in which case you, you, we use Amazon Firehost, Kinesis Firehost to ingest that into Elasticsearch cluster, and then use Kibana to do the visualization. So this entire architecture is built in our demo. So if you happen to be looking at uh, the, attending the Partner Solutions Exchange area, look for us in the enterprise booth. We can show you a live demo of this. I do have a video that's captured, uh, but the video runs about 10 minutes, so that will put us over the time limit. So I give you guys a choice. So do you want to see a demo or do you want to get into Q&A? So we do have about five minutes left. The video itself is about 11 minutes. So any Q&A or uh, video demo? Q&A. Okay, looks like Q&A, okay? Okay, all right, let's do Q&A.